Blog Talk Radio. dedication, rather, of our brand new uh, locker rooms for our athletics facilities. Big day indeed, and speaking of AU Athletics, we will broadcast an exclusive part one of our interview, our conversation with Athletic Director Dr. Billy Walker, who's uh, pretty new on the job. We've got a great show for you today, a uh, beautiful day here in our nation's capital. We're going to start with our little hot topic segment, almost kind of like the view, and I want to start off with... Uh, with all the controversy surrounding Nebraska head coach Bo Pelini, who is uh, in a bit, bit of news, not just because the team had a complete and utter meltdown Saturday afternoon against the UCLA Bruins, but that a, as a result of this loss, a tape resurfaced from two years ago after a comeback win against the Ohio State Buckeyes, and uh, where Coach Bo Pelini was not just uh, lambasting a, uh, a a couple of local columnists, uh, local Lincoln, Nebraska media, but also he apparently swore out the fan, saying, and I quote, this is from Deadspin, F-U fan, F-all-E-U. Uh, if you go to deadspin.com, you could read a whole lot more of it if you listen to the audio tape itself. And so now people are all up in arms, should police be fired. And my theory on this is what the big deal. And what I think people need to realize is that, you know, coaches in the heat of the moment, they're going to swear. They're not, a, you know, they're not people that will use 100% clean language all the time. Oakley, in particular, is a very intense man. He's, um, you know, he's privy to uh, use the uh, colorful language every now and again. That's just the name of the game. And so, honestly, in that regard, him swearing out, you know, columnists, that happens all the time. I mean, let's be honest. What uh, head coach in any sport is always in uh, good hands, good favor with local media? That usually they're thin-skinned. They have a problem with somebody writes something negative at them, and that's that. Most columnists have a thicker skin, and that's, that's the way it is. Calling out the fans. Now, the context for why he called out the fans and used the experts there is because during the game, Nebraska was down, I believe, a significant margin, like three touchdowns to Ohio State. I vaguely remember the game. Pardon me for that. And thus, apparently, there were some Nebraska fans that were leaving at halftime because the team was down so much. So, Pony referred to them as effing Fairweather fans. Um, and all that. But the reason why this is a controversy right now, and the reason why this some clown 
the recorded point of this before you say it's going to take like one of those great coaches shows. They know all the coaches love to do on a local Lincoln, Nebraska radio. Some clown recorded him, held the state for two years, like it was this holy grail, like this is what I am going to bring down Bo Pelini with. Held the state for two years. He only released it now. Why? Because the team completely got embarrassed by UCLA. Here is Coach Pelini. I'm not going to play the excellent comments because this is a family friendly program generally. So, but here is what Pelini said about the loss to UCLA from this past Saturday. Well, obviously it was a disappointing loss. And, uh, you know, we, we got, you know, I just told our player, that's a team, that's what you call a team loss right there. I mean, we, we got beat in every phase of the game in, in the, in the second half. And, um, I think we showed a little bit of what we're capable of as a football team in the first half, but in the second half, we we got away from fundamentals and the same things that uh, um, you can't win. It's about it, it's nothing magical. It wasn't anything that they uh, really that they hadn't done in the first half. But you know, you can't go out defensively. You can't go out and miss tackles and miss your gaps and play undisciplined. And for whatever reason, you, everybody's got to do their job. And offensively, we didn't show up in the second half. We had a number of op- opportunities to, to move the sticks, to take the momentum back, to at least gain some momentum to, to stop what was going, and, and we didn't do it. Our, you know, we, uh, you know the, the pendulum started going the other way, and we needed to make a play. We, we continuously had opportunities to make plays and, and didn't make them. And, you know, uh, I thought special teams-wise, we killed ourselves the whole game. And, uh, um, the, you know, the, the field position at times hurt us. But at the end of the day, we just didn't execute well enough to play the, to, to win the football game and and uh, played a horrendous second half. And, uh, you know, you can talk about it all day, but uh, um, that's what it came down to. Yeah, you mentioned playing a uh, terrible second half, and that they did. UCLA was down 21-3 late in the second quarter. They got a quick touchdown late, and then they reeled off 30, 31 unanswered points in the second quarter and completely embarrassed the Nebraska defense in Lincoln. You know, Bo Pelini is known for uh, being a defensive coach, and the defense has not been there thus far in 2013 for the team. But this all speaks to a bigger story for Nebraska. You see, and Nebraska fans are probably not going to hear this, but Nebraska fans have had a problem. Ever since Tom Osborne retired in the late 90s, they they have these outside expectations of the program. After all, when Tom Osborne, in the last four years, he won three national titles in four years. One of the more impressive runs, dominance, in the history of college football. But he was replaced by Frank Solich, did a pretty good job, didn't win any national championships, but kept the team very good in the Big 12. They threw him out. Bo Pelini actually was the interim coach that year. Then they go and hire Bill Callahan, who was fired from the Oakland Raiders one year after going to the Super Bowl. He was the first guy to try to move Nebraska into the 21st century, play a more West Coast offense, uh, get away from the option attack, and generally, his tenure was a failure. And Bill Callahan really wasn't a very good coach. But you can make the case that he is the guy that helped bring Nebraska forward. 
Now, after Bill Callahan, you have Bo Pelini. Pelini has had a pretty successful tenure in Lincoln with the Huskers. Every year, he's won at least nine wins. That's three 10-win seasons. He uh, got uh, won a part of the conference uh, four to five years, including last year, and thus, and he's won 70% of his games. Now, of course, Nebraska fans are angry. Now, this UC loss was dreadful. Nobody's going to die that. But that Bo Pliny has not won as much as they want. And here's the problem. What people don't need to realize, this is not the time of Tom Osborne. Tom Osborne was a fantastic coach. It was also the time when the option was prevalent in the game. Not anymore, unless you're a service academy, or Georgia Tech. And people also need to realize Nebraska doesn't have a huge advantage like they did at one point in facilities that all the other schools will have now. They don't have that advantage. And also, it's very hard to recruit to Nebraska, A, because there's nothing to Nebraska. And I'm sure Nebraska is a great state. I, uh, well, I've been to Missouri. Missouri is obviously not Nebraska. But they're pretty close. And I feel like they have some similarities. Plus, Nebraska does not have a lot of ingrown talent. There's not a lot there. This is a pretty sparse and barren state. So, but fans are still thinking, we need conference, we need the national championship, we need to win titles. And those days, I hate to tell you, are over. Now we're going to move to the National Football League. And we're going to talk, uh, you know, Nebraska is in the Big Ten. That region includes the state of Ohio. Biggest city in the state of Ohio is Columbus. That's actually that was a fail on my part. But a big-time city in the state of Ohio is Cleveland. Cleveland Browns raised a lot of eyebrows. You know, it was Wednesday afternoon. I was uh, I just gotten Grand Theft Auto Five so there's that little, little fun ticket. And I was about to go. I had gone back there and tried to go for a walk. And a, a good friend of mine, the Jeff Poyles of the University of Missouri, Gave me a call and told me that the Cleveland Browns had traded Trent Richardson to the Indianapolis Colts for the Colts' first round pick next year. And this was shocking. A, nobody sees that coming. Nobody saw that coming. B, trades barely ever happened. And C, this is a big deal because Trent Richardson was the team's first round pick, a top three pick a year ago that the team traded up to acquire. You're giving up on a guy like that. We have no offense really outside of him. You know, that's not really true, but we'll get into that. And you're trading him 17 games into his career. Now, and that doesn't look good. But here's why, and I said this on the blog, on deepo360.com, you can check it out. Great website. If you have never checked it out, I highly encourage it. You are the height of just too much of it. And thank you very much for that, Mr. Cleveland Brown. How about that? So, but the reason why I don't mind this deal, and I think it actually makes sense for Cleveland. First off, the Cleveland is going nowhere. The offense is dreadful. Brandon Whedon's been terrible under center. He has not made steps forward that people thought he would. And the new organization, uh, new coach, new front office, again in Cleveland, they have no ties to Trent Richardson. And they're looking for the new franchise quarterback. Next year's draft, you're going to have Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Johnny Manziel, Taj Boyd, 
and some other guys, Brett Hundley, uh, a lot of potentially franchise quarterbacks, the likes of which Cleveland never never had, ever, or at least in their current incarnation. And really, you have to go back to the last great quarterback for and at any point in the Cleveland Browns tenure with the immortal Vinny Festiverdi. Great one. So, A, you know, you're basically giving up on the year. You're giving up on the season, which is fine. You know, I think Cleveland Browns fans didn't have any hope, and they don't have a lot of hope. You know how Cleveland. And if you're front listening from Cleveland right now, I apologize profusely. But, so, now you're giving up on the year, A, and B, Trent Mitchison, really, let's be honest. I mean, everyone's like, oh, he's the best player in their offense. And that's pretty much true. He's the most talented player. But he's not been that good in a time where you don't draft running backs in the first round anymore. The top five pick, let alone. And they don't have long shelf life. 17 games, Richardson's averaged 3.5 yards per carry. And the only other top uh, first-round picks to do that, at least last two were a couple more to names, Ricky Williams, Eric Ray. Everybody remembers Ricky Williams for probably not the best reason. And Eric Red, certainly you do not. He really hasn't been that good. He's, yards per carry has been low. He's been a plotter. He's had injury issues. Now, people always could say, well, he didn't, doesn't have any talent around him. On the line, he's got two excellent players in center, Eric Mack, and we all know Joe Tom, the left tackle. Brandon Whedon last year was not that bad. He was able to move the football down the field. He had some success in the air, so it's not like he's playing Gabbard. If you don't know who Blaine Gabbard is, check him out. But I'm, I'm assuming that you do. And and also, they do have a talented player at tight end of David Cameron. Jordan Cameron, rather. David Cameron is a good friend across the pond. So the Cleveland Browns, you know, and you're saying, oh, it's going to be a late first-round pick. This is not the NBA, where first-round picks are, they're all, but you know, available outside the top 10, top 12. The NFL, low first-round picks still have plenty of value, and that also gives them ammunition to possibly move up next year's draft if they so choose, if they don't get the number one overall pick, which now they pay very well, with the exception of possibly a friend in Jacksonville, the Jaguars. So, and but if you're the Colts, you know, you're hoping that give him a little better supporting cast, franchise quarterback Andrew Luck, good receiving core, you know, probably a worse offensive line, and a team that's gunning for a playoff run. Why not take the chance on a talented player? I mean, Richardson is talented. I just poo-pooed his career thus far. He's a talented guy. There is a reason why he picked third overall. And so, and for them, they've got no running game. Vic Ballard wasn't that good to begin with. He's out for the year. Ahmad Bradshaw, Giants legend, is now the uh, really the only guy there. And they haven't had a consistent running back since the days of Edger and James. So, I think it's a good move for both. For Cleveland, you're moving forward. And clearly, the organization was not a fan of Trent Richardson. And thus, if you're Trent Richardson, you got to be feeling pretty good, Red. Oh, you are living la vida loca. Indeed. And so, but now we're going to go to a little different now, a uh, whole different animal in the National Football League. You know, the Browns are named for, uh, or at least, what it's thought to be the namesake is Paul Brown, the legendary coach and 40s, 60s, 
coached the legends like Otto Graham, Jim Brown, uh, you know, the bees news. Contemporary of his was a man, an NFL owner, by the name of George Prescott Marshall. George Prescott Marshall, considered one of the more innovative NFL owners, definitely a, a showman. He was also known as a racist. He famously, he was uh, for 24 years, according to a, uh, and I'm quoting Wikipedia right now, uh, according to a professor named Charles Ross, he was known for 24 years as the leading racist in the NFL. Now, the National Football League teams began signing uh, African-American players in 1946, and they actually started drafting African-Americans in 1949. Marshall on his team, we'll get you his team in a minute because it is important. There's a reason why I'm going through this. He did not sign an African-American player until 1962. He was obviously a known for racist. And as the team for a while was the most southern team in the National Football League, he did not want to sign African-American players because it appealed to the South, almost like a, like a southern strategy, if you will. It was not until 1962 when he was forced by uh, officials in the Kennedy administration Ironically enough, Robert F. Kennedy, because the team, the city of uh, Washington would revoke the team's lease on what was then known D.C. Stadium, now known as RFK Stadium, in the area, until he decided to acquire an African-American player. Now, the first player that he tried to acquire, Syracuse legend Ernie Davis, the Express, um, he chose not to play there when they drafted him. And thus he was traded to Cleveland Browns for great wideout uh, Bobby Mitchell club. So, but George Preston Marshall, not Prescott, Preston Marshall, he was the owner of a team that we now know as the Washington Redskins. He is also, they, when he bought the team, they originally known as the Boston Braves. Changed the name to Washington Redskins. And now the, the nickname Redskins is widely considered to be a racial slur. I don't think I'm standing out on the limb by saying that it is considered to be a racial slur. I would say that if you use that term toward any Native American, they would not be uh, in a favorable mood when you say that. So you have a man known as a racist, gives the team a racist name that we still know of today. Now, of course, there's a whole big controversy about whether the Redskins should be forced to change their name. And, you know, you would think a name so derogatory, so offensive, this is the probably the most offensive of any of those, any team that has some kind of Native American imagery. Probably worse than the Cleveland Indians probably worse than the Atlanta Braves and probably worse than the Kansas City Chiefs. I say probably because I'm not an African-American. I cannot definitively say um, on the money what's the most offensive word towards someone with that ethnicity. So, but generally the media coverage has been the team needs to change their name. Even Roger Goodell, commissioner of the NFL, has said that he is a little sensitive to such criticism, grew up a Redskins fan, grew up in Washington, although he was a U.S. senator, by the way. And 
So the and he is, you know, he's, he has said, if this really offends people, we will work on it. And that's usually not what you hear the NFL say. Usually the NFL is stuck in his ways. They're, they're set in it. And it's very hard to move off them. But Rick Riley of ESPN, now Rick Riley, of course, a formerly a great columnist. I say formerly because he's just gone way off the rails. As a column, ESPN.com, called, quote, Have the People Spoken? And the purpose of this column is to put up a defense of why the Redskins should not change their name and may not be that the term Redskin is not offensive to people. And he, the people he used in this column uses his uh, father-in-law, remember the Black Beach Red, who apparently says the name doesn't bother him that much, you have, you mentioned a few high schools across the country that are predominantly uh, Native American, upwards of 90%. You got one in Oklahoma that's uh, over 57% Native American, and they use the name Redskins. You know, some people, uh, including a, at one of these schools, says the name that honors the people. So, okay, that. You know, if you're going to make that point, fine. Riley is wrong in this column, and it's a pretty ridiculous column once you get into the meat of what he's saying. He's calling out folks like Christine Brennan, USA Today, and he says a white woman from Ohio, Peter King, probably the most known NFL columnist, Sports Illustrated, as you've written for a white man from Massachusetts, that they have jumped on the cause. And thus, Riley, you know, makes the point that they shouldn't have to change their name because to some people it's not offensive. What's the problem? A problem with this column, because there are multiple. A problem with this column is that he does not, uh, you reference anybody, anybody of Native American descent that finds it racist. He does not mention Oklahoma Congressman Tom Cole who, as of right now, is the only congressman in the United States House of Representatives that has Native American descent. That is, he has publicly called on for the team to change their name. The, the, um, the president of the, or the leader of the Oneida Nation, Ray Halberter, has said, quote, we do not deserve to be called Redskins. We deserve to be treated as what we are, Americans. And he made, you know, he says that is an incredibly offensive term, and thus the team should be forced to change their name. Riley does not mention any of that. He mentions, as I said before, his father-in-law in these high schools with predominantly Native American populations. They use the term Redskin, and they got no problem. I would argue, I think it's a pretty fair argument that it's different for if Native Americans consider it to be a name that they take pride in. I think that's different than an NFL team that is not that has no Native Americans on. It's not owned by Native Americans, owned by a uh, oh, you know a white billionaire, Dan Snyder. Um, you know, it's it's you know. All right, let me go forward with this. And then Riley also says that he knows 
you know, are atheists going to be offended by religious names like the New Orleans Saints, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim? Now, here's what's awfully different about that. The Saints are not named really for Saints. They're named for the famous song, the Saints, when the Saints come marching in. Los Angeles Angels are named because Los Angeles in Spanish means the angel. So they're not exactly naming directly for religious figures. They're naming for defining characteristics of their city. So uh, that's that's a silly argument on that point. And then here is how Riley, probably the most controversial part of this article, no matter how wrong it all is, this is the kicker. This is how he ends it. Quote, trust us. We know what's best. We'll take this away for your own good and put up barriers that protect you from ever being harmed again. He's saying we as in the people that want to change the name. And then he continues, quote, kind of like a reservation. So Rick Riley decides that, you know, to get a you get a quick jab, a nice little nice little uh, cute line to end a, end a uh, pretty ridiculous piece, makes a joke about reservations. I'm, I'm going to go forward and say that Rick Riley probably should not be commenting on this issue any further because closing like that not only is it really not politically correct, it's pretty offensive to make light of reservation. You know, we all know the story. The uh, Europeans come to America. We push the Indians, Native Americans, I should say, the correct term. We basically push them off their land, keep pushing them west, and then we give them reservations like, hey, well, you can stay in this little area, but, you know, not really anywhere. So Rick Riley... You are, you have lost all credibility that you are the yeah, asset. But that's the way it is. But on a brighter note, we're going to take a commercial break. We're going to play a little musical interlude. We'll come back. We'll talk. We'll broadcast our exclusive conversation, part one of our conversation with the AD of American University, uh, Dr. Billy Walker. And hey, soccer fans, if you are looking for an exciting and interactive experience, the D.C. United Soccer Club will be hosting College Night on October 4th. That's in two weeks against the Chicago Fire at the aforementioned RFK Stadium. That's a really poor time. But we're going to continue. College Night will feature a pre-game tailgate. That, a halftime mascot race between all the local colleges. We know Claude Eagle is going to smoke everyone else and many other activities. Tickets will be sold at the price of $20 per ticket. You can't beat that on a Friday night. Have fun with your friends. It's going to be a great time. For more information, visit www.dcunited.com slash AU. We'll be right back. Fanatic Radio. Get ready to break the pain. <laughs> the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Next on News 7, why your kitchen may just 
be the most dangerous room in your house. We gotta get out of here. Good thing Dish offers his iPad and we signed up for the Hopper so we can watch all our live and recorded TV anywhere. Next, why your treehouse is even more dangerous than your kitchen. We gotta get out of here. Good thing Dish offered us his iPad and we signed up for the Hopper so we can watch all our live and recorded TV anywhere. Think you're safe under a queen-size bed in the guest room? Well, you're dead wrong. <laughs> Only Dish offers an iPad with the Hopper so you can watch all your live and recorded TV anywhere. Even with the way they're playing, we could go undefeated. The reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's colors. Fanatic Radio on Love Talk Radio. And welcome back to Fanatic Radio. Thanks for hanging out with us on a Friday afternoon. I am your host, Ben Florence, flying solo. Just listen to the uh, music stylings of the great Billy Preston. Fun fact. Of anyone who's probably consider who's probably considered to be the fifth Beatle, Billy Preston probably was more had has a greater claim than anybody else. Apparently, at one point when uh, they were recording uh, "Get Back," John Lennon even proposed the idea of having him as the fifth Beatle, and of course, famously, Paul McCartney responded, "It was bad enough with the four of them." 
Now, could you imagine Billy Preston with his big afro, uh, you know, from great city of Houston, Texas, being a member partying around with the Beatles? That would uh, that'd be uh, fantastic. And thus, now it is time for our weekly Fanatic Radio conversation, an exclusive with uh, Athletic Director Dr. Billy Walker. And, of course, our weekly conversation is always brought to you by the good folks over at the American Word Magazine, the finest publication of any sort on American University. A good friend, Josh Bunnell, friend of the show, who he's, uh, as Mike likes to say, he is walking on water with that production. And Mike Gardner himself, my co-host, is your sports editor. And thus, part one of our interview with Billy Walker. It's uh, an honor and a pleasure to be here, American. Um, we've, uh, you know, been, I actually started, was hired in February. Didn't start till the 19th of April, so it was right at the end of the end of the competition season, um, you know, and then commencement and everything. So, so I really didn't uh, didn't have a lot of interaction with everybody for a long time, you know, being this, over the summer. So I was pretty fired up to get going. And now that we're well, we're starting in the fall, it's great. We we had a pretty eventful summer though with uh, with uh, personnel with hiring. Um, obviously, uh, we had to hire a new men's basketball coach when Jeff Jones went to Old Dominion, so we hired uh, Mike Brennan from from Georgetown, and uh, fantastic coach. You know, been under under a lot of great uh, mentors when he was at he played at Princeton, coached at Princeton, uh, coached here, coached at uh, Georgetown. So he he coached under Pete Carrill and or played under Carrill and played and coached under Bill Carmody, and then coached with Joe Scott and John Thompson the third. And Jeff Jones obviously hurt here. And the two years he was here, the two years we went to the NCAA, so he had a tremendous record. And uh, then hired um, women's basketball coach uh, Megan Jevia from Marist. And uh, all she did in her ten years at Marist is as the associate head coach, uh, they went 200 games over 500, which is ridiculous. There are 264 wins and 64 losses. So, um, you know, that's when you think about that, you're averaging 20 games over 500 every year for 10 years. And they had two 30-win seasons, 30-game win seasons in there. Um, went to the NCAAs nine of the 10 years she was there. Made it to the Sweet 16. Beat Ohio State first round when they were the Big Ten champs. Um, so she's she's experienced a high level of success uh, as associate head coach. So hopefully she'll be able to translate that into doing the same thing here as a head coach. So we're real excited about that. The other two hires we had as head coaches um, – uh, Emma Wallace, uh, as our, our new lacrosse coach, she was interim coach for this last year and did a, a spectacular job um, going all the way to the last game of the year, being undefeated in conference, tied for first with Navy, and then played Navy and lost Navy the last game of the season. But along the way, upset uh, Johns Hopkins, first time in the program history to to ever upset a, a top ten team. So that was uh, that was and it was her alma mater too. She's a uh, 07 grad from Johns Hopkins. So that was huge for her and for the team. So that was an easy hire. Um, then we also hired uh, Annabelle Jimenez Herring, who is as our women's soccer coach. And she's the only head coach we have that's an actual AU alum. She's a <clears throat> 04 grad from uh, from American. So it's it's really great to have her on board as well. So pretty busy, as well as a lot of staff members, you know, throughout the summer. So we did a lot of, a lot of personnel, entire uh, new uh, strength and conditioning coach staff, um, some compliance people, uh, 
across the board, you know, so it was a busy uh, a busy summer getting getting my feet wet that way. And now we're into the into the fall season. We're off to a really good start. Uh, volleyball undefeated. They won both the tournaments they've been in. Only lost one uh, set, and you know they've been that dominant. Um, both soccer's are playing pretty well. Cross country's doing good. So um, we're off to a good start. So I'm I'm really fired up to be here. That's for sure. And uh, glad to be part of the the Eagle family. You know I get out, try to get out and about. You know things like this. Hopefully you know I can I can continue this this kind of thing, getting in classes and helping out that way um uh doing some things with kogod school of business right now with the dean there uh so that kind of integration and then also in the recreation side of it so um jacobs fitness center you know we're really putting efforts into into you know making sure people are enjoying it there and getting and then now with cassell being open i don't know if any of you had a chance to be over there yet just open monday it's a fantastic facility so uh we want to make sure that you know we're looking after the whole student body for the for that that area as well um, and then clubs and intramurals. I'm a big believer in, in clubs and intramurals too because, you know, what, the benefits that our intercollegiates get from competition, uh, you certainly, if, if, which I do, you know, educators that believe in, in, in the character building um, component of competition, why would we not think that that carries over into other levels of competition with clubs and intramurals too? So um, it's not just exclusive to intercollegiate athletics. So I'm glad that that's under my department as well. Um, so that's part of what I was saying. That I'm going to keep trying to make sure that our athletic department is integrated across campus to benefit everyone. It was really, really hard. Um, if it wouldn't have been a place like this, I wouldn't have left. You know, we we really had no intention in leaving. You know, and uh, um, you know we loved it there. Like you said, it was my my alma mater. We spent a lot of time there. Um, I either lived there, I'd spent some time in, in Cheyenne, Wyoming, which is right along the front range. I went to school, my doctorate in Greeley, which is right along the front range. So, I mean, I spent a lot of time out on the front, along I-25 corridor right there. And I know this really sounds stupid. I made that conscious decision, okay, I'm switching to be a Bronco fan from, and a, you know, I mean, all those Colorado teams, because I thought, ah, we're going to be here forever. Um, but... Uh, you know, this it's popped. You know, some things happened that made me start thinking about that. And then when this when this job came open, I thought, yeah, this is this would be a great a great institution. It's got the you know, like I said, the values that I want. The in the Patriot League, the the high end academics, the um, you know, er everything that I liked about college athletics were offered at this institution. So, you know, I thought I'll put my throw my name in the hat, and, uh, uh, and then when I got the interview phase. It just confirmed everything that I thought that I love this place. Um, you know, interview with President Kerwin and everybody, and everybody was so great here. Uh, it, it just felt like a perfect fit. So it, it's really weird how it just kind of happened, and it, it wasn't really a big, great plan or anything. But, yeah, it was hard. I mean, Colorado's, we love it there, but we love it here too. But anything like that, I invited him to the ribbon-cutting ceremony for the locker room that is on the 20th because he obviously was um, – main push to get that to get that done so um yeah it's great it's great you know, it was this summer it was uh yeah it was tough you know because people wanted to come over and work out and you know sweating like a dog and there's nowhere to take a shower and yeah it was uh so it's it's good to have it's good to have that done the training room is is a tremendous uh um i mean i can't say how big of an addition that is because you know a lot of people think oh it'd be nicer to have cooler things than a bigger training room but but as you know, if you ever walk down that hall, you know you had people rehabbing out in the hallway and you know all that kind of stuff. So having a, having that extra space in the training room is is huge. So and then all the individual locker rooms, um, free just 
for the team itself and competitive reasons, it's great. But the other thing is for recruiting. When you bring in high school kids through and, uh, you know, you show them one huge locker room, with, uh, that's your role, that's your role, you know, they look at that and they're like, you got to be kidding. But now we can take them into nice, you know, individual locker rooms. And, um, yeah, that, that's that's huge. So we're real excited about it. It's critical. Cause, and, and that's, I, I would think, I don't want to say it's the part of the job I love the most because working with the student athletes and the coaches. But hiring coaches is something that I really enjoy doing and because I realize the impact it can have. You know, it's going to hopefully, not hopefully, you know that those what those coaches do are going to have consequences for a long time because what they do just in their program, but then those young men and women that they coach are going to go out into the world and do great things, you know. So um, if you hire the right coach and they recruit the right the right people to come here, which I'm sure they will. So that I take that real seriously, and um, so I was I was happy at the opportunity to do it. You know, I didn't like losing Jeff or Matt because they both were great coaches and great fits here and did a fantastic job, and that's why they got good jobs leaving here. Um, you know, they were highly respected across the country, but but it, it gave me the opportunity to go out and and find a, a couple of coaches that hopefully uh, not hopefully I'm sure will fit nicely here and will have an impact and uh, will we'll do great things with the young men and women that they coach and hopefully for years to come, you know. And if they, you know, if they, if they leave early because they get hired somewhere else, that means they're doing a great job. And that's the one thing, you know, you know when you're hiring somebody at a, at a, at a mid-major type of a, a school that if, if, you, if you make a great hire, they may not be with you real long, you know, because somebody else may come along and take them, you know because they're doing so so well. But uh, I'd rather have a great hire, you know, that gets us to the NCA five years and turns out great citizens and ends up going into another job than have a than not make a good hire um, that nobody else wants and that we're trying to get rid of in five years. You know, that's, that's not what you want, that's for sure. It, I think some teams are different than others, but uh, athletes are athletes. You know, they know that that's part of the, part of the deal. And... Um, you know, they're usually usually you're going to be pretty happy for their coach that that got a great opportunity. You know, I mean, no one's in the wrestling world. Nobody is going to be. You know, everyone understands Cody gets to go to Oklahoma. You know, if you go to the University of Oklahoma, that's a big time wrestling program. So um, that's no one's going to say what what's he doing. And uh, so that was a great opportunity for him. He certainly earned it. You know, we finished here fifth in the nation in one year. That's that's ridiculously high you know that's that they did a fantastic job under him so um so he certainly earned it but but we were able to get teague moore here who is a fantastic young coach um you know he's an ncaa champion at oklahoma state he he uh wrestled under john smith who is one of the best coaches in the country and certainly one of the best wrestlers ever from the united states arguably in the top two or three for sure um so you know, it, it worked out well there. So the aftermath, you know, every every situation is different. Somebody may leave. You got to deal with the assistant coaches. That some, that sometimes is the is the issue because if the coaches, if the coach that leaves is unable to take the assistants with them, when you bring in a new coach, they may want their own assistants. Um, so you have to work that out. Um, that's the part, you know, because you're dealing with people's lives and their families, and you know, that's the part that's difficult. But um, but coaches know if you're a coach, you're in that business. Um, it's it's not always the most stable profession, you know. Without question, number one thing I'm looking at in coaches is in integrity. You know, I want to make sure that I have a coach that I know 
is running a clean program, not cutting corners, not telling me that they're not cutting corners when they really are. You know that they can come in, and I know when they tell me something that I'm getting, I'm getting the real, the real story. You know, um, and without question, all of our coaches, I have absolutely no, no reservations about that. So that's the number one thing. I want to make sure that they, they fit in to the philosophy of our athletic department and our institution as a whole. Um, you know that they put put that value on ac academics first, knowing that, that we are an academic institution and that the, the athletic program is really um, an outgrowth of that, that it's here to complement the academic uh, mission, not to overwhelm it, you know. So uh, I want to make sure that they are comfortable with that and that they understand it, not that they just say, oh, yeah, 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 because they want the job, and then when they get here, they're always trying to get kids in that don't meet the AI or they're trying to get them to, you know, get out of class or do this or that. I want to make sure that... You know, when when I, we have an athlete that had practice at 7 in the morning and she's in a 5.30 journalism class, that she's here, you know, right? So uh, um, so uh, that that's what I want to make sure that our coaches understand, understand that as well. And then lastly, obviously, I want to make sure that, you know, I want to be competitive. So I want coaches that, that I think can win. And, uh, um, and I think the four coaches I hired – demonstrated all all of those things you know that they're they're people of character um they understand what this is a, institution's about and they're a good fit and they're great coaches and i think they're going to help us win and you just heard from uh athletic director billy walker only been out of job for a few months but i think he sounds pretty impressive came from the uh, air force academy out in uh, colorado springs and i feel like there could be a little bit of i don't know about a renaissance but I think there's a changing attitude around AO athletics. Uh, Dr. Walker replaced uh, Keith Gill, who did a very good job during his tenure here. Uh, definitely helped improve the athletic program across the board. And I think Walker hit a home run with his uh, hiring of new basketball coach Mike Brennan from Georgetown. You know, if you're going to get a good coach and you're going to try and recruit the D.C. and the D.C. area, why not hire from the top program in the, in the uh the area. You got a guy that has coached here before, has a lot of experience. He's worked at um worked out of uh high, really good uh academically speaking schools. Uh and not only that, a part that I love, he's from Bayside Queen. So you get a little New York accent, what's wrong with that? Plus, unlike uh previous coach Jeff Jones, who we'd see occasionally once in a while in the quad and is this pretty ugly uh gray uh, sweatsuit. Um, you see my coach friend, I've seen him in the gym. I've seen him in uh, down at, uh, well, not Eagles Bucks, and Eagles Nest anymore, actually, POD. Seen him around campus a few times, and I think it's definitely a good thing that uh, we've got coaches that are mixing it up. Uh, you're seeing him a lot around the campus, around school, and I think it's a uh, great thing. Got a couple pieces of our breaking news first. Uh, Houston Texans running back uh, Arian Foster reveals in a documentary schooled the price of college sports. He admits that he did take money on the side when he was playing at the University of Tennessee. And so this is definitely going to be a big story going forward in the conversation about whether to pay uh, college athletes, particularly college football players, or not. Another and a local piece of information is that the 2015 NHL Winter Classic is coming to the district as 
the it will the game will be held likely at Nationals Park. I mean, you would hope not RFK because RFK went out of prime a long time ago. But likely at Nationals Park, Capitals will be hosting somebody New Year's Day 2015. Should be should be a good one. Hopefully, we'll get some snow. Hopefully, looking forward. Of course, next year's Winter Classic will be in Ann Arbor as the Detroit Red Wings will host the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, we're talking about the Nationals. In Nationals Park, now we got to talk a little bit. Only a couple weeks left in the wild card race in the for, uh, Major League Baseball postseason. The Nationals, they're still technically alive. They've actually played really well of late. Five games behind Cincinnati for the last spot in the wild card. They're not going to get there, let's be honest. But, hey, at least they made it somewhat interesting. The real race is going on in the American League wild card right now. We got the two wild card leaders tied at 83-69 as of right now, the Tampa Bay Rays and the Texas Rangers. You got Cleveland behind uh, behind them by half a game. Baltimore's two back. Kansas City Royals have been uh, pretty impressive this year. The three back. Yankees are three and a half back. They haven't looked great as of late, uh, as of late, and so they're probably done in the uh, last few days. You got Andy Pettit retiring, Mariano Rivera is retiring, so looks like they will not be spending their final year in the postseason. Looking at the divisional races, you had the Boston Red Sox clinching the divisional after the disastrous year last year on Bobby Valentine. Uh, rebounding strong, right? 93-61. This is a team. This is a very good team. Looks like they're going to be the top team in the American League and team to beat in the race for the to get the World Series. Uh, Detroit's on top of Cleveland, six games in the Central. Out west, Oakland's open up a lead, six and a half on Texas. In the NL East, Atlanta, uh, they're on the verge of clinching. They have not clinched yet, I don't believe. Yeah, I know Central race is a doozy. You got St. Louis up on Pittsburgh by one and by Cincinnati by two. But those second or third are going to get in the wild card. And out west, and a fascinating story, the Los Angeles Dodgers clinched last night. And to celebrate, you know, Chase Field, one of the unique things that they have there is that they have a pool in right center where the, uh, the upper-class folks or anybody that can afford it go out there and sit in the pool and watch the baseball game. Maybe catch a home run. Why not? And so the Dodgers celebrated their win by when they clinched the division title by jumping into the pool. Now, Diamondbacks players, they're not exactly just, uh, happy about it. Uh, Willie Bloomquist, uh, utility guy, called him, quote, classless, and saying, quote, I doubt the Yankees would do something like that, end quote. Of course, Diamondbacks and the Dodgers. The Dodgers, they had a nice, uh, nice, uh, significant brawl back in June. Um, not a whole lot of loss between these two teams, but you know what? The Diamondbacks could have prevented this by playing better. But a little, a little curious, a little curious, uh, but kind of cool. I mean, hey, young guys, you don't know the job of the pool. I mean, what's wrong with that? Uh, we're going to quick hit on NASCAR right now. You know, NASCAR is currently in the chase. Now, only nine races ago, after Matt Kenseth winning at Chicagoland Speedway, enjoy it. And so you got a, a tight race a little early, but Matt Kenseth up on eight on, Jim, on Kyle Busch. 
as you were following the show last week, I yeah, I picked win it all. Got Jimmy Johnson eleven points back, Kevin Harvick fifteen points back, Carl Lewis twenty three. You know, we're still suffering from fallout from the uh Michael Walter bracing, uh all the controversy, having Clint Boyer spin out, having Brian Vickers uh intentionally pit and driving off the pace just to get Martin Truex Jr. into the chase. That of course resulted in Truex getting thrown out of the chase when NASCAR won't be the past almost two weeks ago. And then after that, with all shenanigans on part of uh, Joey Logano and David Gillen get Logano in the chase, you had another penalty there, and you had well they were put actually put on probation, and Jeff Gordon was put into the chase for the first time, thirteen drivers in the chase. But big news as a result of that MWR situation is that longtime Michael Waltrip sponsor. Um, Napa Auto Parts, who sponsored Michael Waltrip for a very long time, every single one of his uh, his wins, all play tracks, come with Napa on the hood. They've been a big sponsor of the organization ever since he formed it. Big NASCAR sponsor for a long time. They are leaving Michael uh, Michael Waltrip's uh, number 56 car, Martin Truex's car, you know, the one that was able to get in, they chased them thrown out. They have decided they are not going to return next year the organization. So that was definitely a big, big development. I mean, obviously sponsors aren't happy when teams are playing cheating and trying to manipulate the outcome, but still, still very much a uh, surprising result now. That team's going to have to find sponsorship. It's going to be, uh, could be a very potentially difficult offseason for Michael Waltrip. So the change continues there at New Hampshire with uh, Loudon. For uh, Sunday afternoon's race, and now it, we've come to the portion of the program. I want to institute a uh, new segment because I am hosting and running the show. Mike's not here to prevent me from doing anything I don't want to do. So I'm going to debut a new segment. May not come back ever again, but I don't care. It's called the uh, Beefle Rant, and this will be my rant on a particular topic. The Beastful Rant is brought to you by College Night at RFK Stadium. Because, hey, soccer fans, if you are looking for an exciting and interactive experience, and, yes, I'm reading this again because this is going to be awesome. DC United Soccer Club will be hosting College Night October 4th, two weeks against East Chicago Fire. It will feature a pregame tailgate, halftime mascot race between all the local colleges, because who doesn't love mascot races? Whether you're a Pirates fan, Nationals fan, everybody loves the mascot race. And many other activities. Whenever they say that, usually there's even more greatness. Things will be sold at $20 a ticket, not expensive at all. For more information, visit www.dcunited.com slash au. Now, the Beefo Rant is going to be on an editorial in the Eagle. Uh, AU's uh, newspaper of record, of course, they're no longer in print. So now I can say that, you know, when I was an underclassman, when I was in a, you know, an undergrad, I was there when I was able to be there when the Eagle printed the paper. Now they print online. It's a great job by that, whoever ran the Eagle last year. So now the 
this editorial which our good friend Michael Gardner, who I believe wants to come in the studio, which is fantastic. Look at this guy, all dressed up in a suit, no no tie. He went no tie today. He went no tie, as I suggested he do. Michael Gardner, how was our, uh, how was the dedication today? It was good. We had actually a surprising turnout for a couple hundred people. A uh, few guys representing the construction company that helped firm there. David Taylor in the mix. Yes, legend. Uh, and it's funny you mentioned the Eagle. Good old uh, Eric Saltzman was there as well. Oh, boy. And, you know, you mentioned the Eagle. I, I was going to say, you know, I've actually been doing the show. Well, you weren't here. Uh, I just hijacked the show because I'm like, you know, and I don't care. Yeah, but we finally axed down the doors and it was untied from the top of my mouth and trapped in the closet. Ended up escaping. But give the band a little bit of hope and relief that, yes, we'll be back next week with us in the studio. How's it going so far? That's been uh, pretty good. Uh, we're about to wrap up the show. We're going to get into the uh, the peaceful rant, which is interesting. Uh, we were talking a little AU Athletics. We, of course, aired the first part of our exclusive Billy Taylor interview. Yeah. Billy Walker interview, pardon me. And thus, this is actually an article, an editorial that you sent me uh, yesterday when I was uh, interning at the Hill. I was uh, getting lunch. You sent me this article, and I was reading this, and I thought this is just ridiculous. So the whole purpose of the editorial is that why does why don't the AU students support uh, AU athletics more than they currently do? They talked about how our volleyball team is ten and zero, been on an incredible run.
Well, thanks to Mike saying that, we ended up running over on the recording. But thank you all for tuning in. Uh, I certainly had a ball filling in. And thus, we will see you next week with a United show. Yeah. Exactly. Sean Join us. Former Sydney Wings soccer actually has a game and a hashtag named after him. Hashtag again, one to two. Friday. I'll let you uh, take it out. Thank you, folks, again for listening. Uh, we'll hope to see you all again, hear you all again next week. You've been listening to Fanatic Radio on the Blog Talk Network. We will see you next time.